You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this afternoon, we have two readings, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 63. We'll begin reading at verse 7 and read through to the end of the chapter. This afternoon we'll be looking at the fatherhood of our God, and we read this passage in connection with that. I will tell you of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which He is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us, yes, the many good things He has done for the house of Israel, according to His compassion and many kindnesses. He said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy. And he fought against them. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is the Lord who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit upon them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people, to make for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see, from your lofty throne, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our Father. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Why, O Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. For a little while your people possessed your holy place, but now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. We are yours from of old, but you have not ruled over them. They have not been called by your name. From that we move to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 8. We'll read the verses 12 through 17. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as faithful Father. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we're going to take a little break from Olympics mania and consider together our God, our Father. We confess in the Apostles' Creed, God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. And we confess here as well that we believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. But confessing that we have an almighty, all-powerful, loving Father in heaven cannot be done without recognizing that we make this confession in the midst of a society that is losing its fathers faster than it's gaining them. In short, fatherhood in our day and age seems to be in shambles. Whether it's new ideas or innovations or perspectives on fatherhood that rob a man of his place in the family and make him into a Mr. Mom, or the prevalence, the increase of divorce in families, or it's the rising rates of children born out of wedlock, or it's the rise of absentee fathers, especially in poorer areas, or it's the ever-present reality of abusive and neglectful fathers I could cite any number of indicators to show that fatherhood in our society is on the decline. And that's sad. That's really sad. It should make us sad because fathers are needed. It's a fact. Good fathers are irreplaceable. And where there's a lack of good fatherly influence, the results really are, in many cases, devastating. Consider that studies of young criminals in the United States show that 70% of all juveniles in state reform institutions come from fatherless homes. Or any number of studies that link crime, drug abuse, depression, or school failure to a lack of fathers in the homes of many children. Fathers are missing in action, and it's having a profound influence on our society at large, and also on the individual lives of so many young women and men who are growing up, 
without a father. Well, in the midst of this problem, in contrast really to it, and as a clarion call of good news for those who are hurt by this epidemic, the church confesses that God is the Father. That is, through faith in Jesus Christ and by the powerful work of the Spirit, we know a loving, protective, caring Father. And He's not only a loving, caring, and protective Father, He is the Almighty God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Creator of this entire universe. In short, we confess a Father who is caring enough to have compassion on this fatherless world, and He's powerful enough to do something about it. We confess a Father who is for all who find their life in Jesus Christ, my Father and your Father. In an increasingly fatherless world, we confess God the Father. We confess God the Father. As we move through this sermon, we'll see that He is the Father of all creation, especially of mankind. That He is the Father of His chosen people. That He's the Father in a unique and a special way of Jesus Christ. And through the work of Jesus Christ, He's our Father. He's the Father of us. So first, He's the Father of all creation, especially mankind. The fatherhood of God is inseparable from who He is. He is the Father. And so in order to understand where His fatherhood begins, we need to really understand go to where his revelation of himself begins, and that's in Genesis 1. We see in Genesis 1, as God creates this world, that he presides over his creation with a certain relationship, a certain love. He is separate from all that he's made. He is sovereign over it. We know from the beginning of Genesis that God was, in the beginning, God. And then we find out That he created heaven and earth. So he is separate from it, but at the same time, he has a special relationship with it. It pleases him. It gives him pleasure. After each day, he looks at his creation, and it's good. And he says that. James, in the New Testament, hints at this fatherly relationship between God and creation when he says in James 1 verse 17 that God is the Father of the heavenly lights. But, in a sense, we can't press this too far. What we do know is that there's a clear relationship between God and His creation, and before the fall into sin, it was a good and a harmonious relationship. And second, we know that God is the Father. His fatherhood is is inseparable from who He is. And so, when we say that God is the Creator... He is at the same time God the Father. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 9 and of course in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. He is one person. He is both the Father and the Creator who has created this vast universe and who continues to uphold and govern it by His fatherly hand. God the Father is God the Creator. The song has it right. 
This is my Father's world. We need to remember our Father's close and loving relationship with His creation. And we should foster that same sort of attitude. We aren't radical environmentalists. We're Christians. But as Christians, we should love the created world, grow in appreciation for it, speak and act in a way that reflects the Father's love to it and be good stewards of it. For that's what God has made us. He's made us stewards, caretakers of this beautiful world. A little while ago when I was speaking to the students of Cradle High School, I gave them the advice that if there's anything that God loves, you should love it too. If God loves something, you should love it too. Well, God loves His creation. We ought to love it as well. So we can say that God is in a certain way the Father of all creation, but even more, He is the Father of all humanity. And this is grounded in God's creation of man. From the very beginning, He had a a special relationship with mankind. After He created Adam, remember, on the sixth day, only then could He say that His creation was very good. Man was made in the image and the likeness of God Himself. That means that man reflects something of, of God's character and being, just like a son would a father. And that's why it's no surprise to us when we read in Luke chapter 3, or Luke chapter 4, that Adam is explicitly called the Son of God. And this fatherly relationship of God with humanity, it doesn't end after the fall into sin. Of course, that totally changes the relationship. It puts strain on it. It robs it of its intimacy. It even introduces rebellion and corruption and estrangement. But God is still the Father. The fatherhood of God has become a a distant relationship for many. The prodigal son, the parable that the Lord Jesus teaches in the New Testament, is a good example of this. God never ceases to be a loving Father. But we, as disobedient children, run away. We've left Him. We've all left that loving and safe home of our Father. Adam rebelled against his loving Father. And so he was banished from fellowship with Him. But yet, when the Apostle Paul for example, speaks with the the Greeks at the Areopagus in Athens, he can agree with them that they are God's offspring. Acts 17. And Paul can say in Ephesians 3 verse 15, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The word for father there is pater, and the word for family is patria. It also is a word used for for countries, for kingdoms. So all the kingdoms on earth get their name from the Father. And yet, the relationship of most in our world, brothers and sisters, is one of estrangement. It's willful and sinful estrangement. That's true. It's outright rebellion. But it's still estrangement. It's it's something that was good, but is now not. Sometimes... It may be that our desire to affirm our own status with God, 
that in our desire to affirm our own status with God, we end up looking down on those who don't believe. But we shouldn't look down and scoff. We shouldn't hear those numbers at the beginning of the sermon and think, oh, those people in the world, they're all doing it to themselves. That's their problem. We shouldn't look down on them and scoff. It should hurt. There are many men and women in this world who are hurting themselves and are growing up apart from their rightful father. There are huge problems because of lacks, a lack of good fathers out there. But the problems caused by children leaving and denying their heavenly father are even greater. It is, in fact, because the one true Father in heaven is not worshipped and adored that we have all the problems that we do. Just like Adam was created as a father in the perfect image of the Father, so many in our world are reflecting the reality and the consequence of their rebellion. They live in a fatherless world. God is the Father. We're hardwired for love and care of a good father. We know that no matter what our earthly father might have been like, we have a good father. But many don't. Many don't. And we need to speak to them of our father, who is forgiving and compassionate. We need to, like Paul in the Areopagus, call them to repentance. Call them back to the Father, away from their willful disobedience. Paul doesn't just tell them when he speaks to the Athenians that that their Father is loving. He also tells them that their Father is just, and that they need to repent and seek reconciliation with Him. The reconciliation that Jesus Christ made possible. So God is the Father of creation, especially of mankind, and we could say even more, especially of His chosen people, Israel. Our fatherless society is the consequence of father rejection, which began at the beginning with Adam and Eve. And yet, even after Adam rejects that special relationship that he had with the Heavenly Father, God doesn't give up on humanity and leave them in their rebellion. But he calls the people to be his very own. He adopts them to become his children. He becomes their father. For example, God calls Israel his firstborn son when they're in Egypt. Exodus 4 verse 22. And this points to Israel's special status. God adopted them to be his children. Though they previously didn't have a relationship, God calls them to be his own. Think of when God calls Abraham, who did not know him before. God shows the initiative with Abraham. He calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And he continually recommits himself to his people, to Isaac and Jacob, before coming to their rescue in Egypt and testifying to Pharaoh his right over those people. I'm their father. They're my son. But, sadly, God's fatherhood over Israel wasn't always a smooth relationship. Even as Israel confesses that God is their father, it's often done with this discordant note. 
It's often done in intention. The rebellion is, is right there in the background. Consider Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. Just listen to what Moses says as he talks to the people of Israel about their unfaithfulness. He says, They, that's Israel, have acted corruptly toward him, toward God. To their shame they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. And then he addresses them directly. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made and formed you? Or we could think of that long prayer in Isaiah 63, which we read a part of together, where Isaiah calls on God to remember that he is the father, that these are his children, even though they've acted wickedly against him. There's this discordant note in the Old Testament that comes from a sinful and a willful people who often abandon their loving Father. It's a depressing note because it's the same tune over and over again. God redeems His people, recommits Himself to them, comes to their rescue, but they again and again leave Him and turn their back on Him. Imagine if God was an earthly father and his children was that disobedient to him. We would not fault an earthly father for at a certain point saying to his child, enough, I'm done with you. I've had enough. But that's not our heavenly father. Because what Moses and Isaiah are doing, even as they chide the people for their disobedience, they're calling on God to remember His covenant, to remember His promises, to remember His adoption, to remember His love, to remember that He is the Father. Moses is reminding the people that God is their Father. Isaiah is reminding God that He is their Father. He's calling out, you are our Father. Don't shut heaven from our prayers. Don't turn your back on us. Forgive us. Don't be angry with us. We are your people. We are your children. You are our Father. God is the Father. That means that He's willing to listen to His people. Isaiah could plead to him on the basis of his fatherhood to come to them. Our God is not a father who has better things to do than listen to his children. He's not like an earthly father that doesn't have time for his children, won't lend them an ear when they need it. He is the father who hears. He's the one that you can plead with that you can cry to, that you can ask for a hearing. He's the one that you can say, you are my Father. Listen to me. Help me. And you can do that on the basis of His fatherhood. We know that God is our Father because we know that He is the Father. That is, as the Catechism says, I know He's my Father because He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
Well, if the Israelites could plead to God on the basis of his fatherhood, while they still awaited the coming of his son, how much more can't we call on the father in any circumstance? Even when we feel far away from him, even when we have sinned against him, we can call on him because we know what a loving father he is. Because we know that He is our Father. Because He's given us His Son, Jesus Christ. God is the Father of Jesus Christ. So God is the Father. That's who He is. From the beginning of history, especially of human history, He has been the Father. But it's only when we come to the New Testament revelation the revelation of His Son, that we see His fatherhood in a, in a unique, in a special, in a more beautiful way. Because when we come to the New Testament, we come to the revelation of Jesus Christ. As announced by the angels, we come to the revelation of the Son of God. But remember that, that God was not Father when Jesus Christ was born but from all eternity. So they had a unique relationship of father and son like no other. You cannot remove the fatherhood of God from who He is because He has always been the Father. And He always will be. This is in a special and a unique way with His Son, His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus speaks of that closeness that He has with the Heavenly Father, especially in the book of John. He says, No one has ever seen the Father except the one who is from God. He's speaking of Himself. Only He has seen the Father. Or John 8, If you knew Me, He says, you would know My Father also because we're so close. John chapter 10, He says that the Father is in Me and I am in the Father. The Gospel writers testify to this closeness and the uniqueness of, the, of His Sonship of our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1, where the Apostle John is writing about the Word who is with God and was God, he had several times uses a special word to describe this relationship. He calls Him the One and Only. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or He says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. That word, one and only, points to how absolutely unique and loved the Son is. He's the Son of God in a way that no one else could ever be. And as such, the fatherly love that rests on Him is a sort of love and affection that can only exist between them. He is the Word from all eternity. He is the one and only. He is the one who has lived in the glory of perfect sonship with the perfect Father forever. The Son lived with the Father forever. Consider that. We don't see the fullness of the fatherhood of God until we come to the New Testament. But we see there that that relationship has existed for all eternity. 
Before he created Adam, God was the Father. Before he created the world, he was the Father. From all eternity, he has been God the Father Almighty. But most incredibly, brothers and sisters, God, our Father, was willing to sever that incredible relationship that He had with His Son. That eternally loving and harmonious relationship. God the Father showed the power and the extent of His fatherhood in that one most incredible act. When He sent His one and only Son into the world to save it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have eternal life. And so we see that through Jesus Christ, God is our Father. Through the work of Jesus Christ, incredibly, God has become our Father. We who shared with Adam and with all humanity in this rebellion against God, But God has become our Father. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. How has this happened? Well, through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. More specifically, it's because the Lord Jesus Christ took upon Himself the punishment that stood against us. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Or we could go to what Paul says, which we read together in Romans chapter 8, The climax that he climbs to after explaining the work of Jesus Christ, how he took our punishment that we might have life, and then he argues that we are to live a new life, a sanctified life, because we're no longer slaves, and we're led by the Spirit. And then he says in Romans 8, verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. Through the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Father from all eternity has become our Father, my Father, your Father. Praise Him. In Lord's Day 9, we confess that the powerful Creator Father has for the sake of Christ His Son become my Father. It's something to think about. That's something to ponder. That's something to praise Him for. God the Father is a good Father. He's a perfect Father. 
He's a loving father. That's who he is. That's who he always has been. He is unchangeably and incorruptibly a father. That's something for all of us to remember, especially those of us who have been hurt by our fathers or who know only too well about the fallibility of earthly fathers. God, your heavenly Father, is not fallible. He's perfect. He's the Father of Jesus Christ from all eternity. He's loving. Fatherhood is who He is. Good, perfect, and loving fatherhood is what He does. And through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, He's your Father. He's my Father. The studies and the statistics all show that we need fathers. We're made for fathers. Things will be very tough for us if we go through life without a father. It's true. But the reality is that no one receives a perfect father on this earth. Some of us have great fathers. Some of us have okay fathers. Some of us don't have fathers. Some of us wish we didn't. No one has a perfect father on this earth. But you have a perfect, a loving, and a strong father in heaven. He is the father you need. He was powerful enough to create the entire universe. He's powerful enough to protect you from the evil one and to carry you through this life that we read in the Catechism is a life of sorrow. He who was willing to send His own Son, His one and only Son, to die on the cross for your salvation is also willing to take you as His Son, as His daughter. He is your Father. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.